Starting a podcast can be very time-consuming. I've been doing it for more than three years now, and my biggest challenge was finding a way to distribute my episodes across major audio platforms in a way that was easy, effective, and free to use. That's when I came across Anchor. And the best part is that you can actually make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So if you're interested, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's going on, everyone? This is George Clife. We're back with another episode of Let's Grab Coffee. This is episode 38. Today, I'm joined by Adrian Salamunovich, who's the best-selling author of Free PR and one of the world's top experts in earned media and PR. He's a serial entrepreneur and the former co-founder of Canvas Pop. In his spare time, he advises hundreds of companies through San Francisco-based 500 Startups and Clarity.fm. Thanks a lot for doing this, man. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. I was looking forward to this. Talk to me about free PR. How did that whole thing come about? What got you into the space to begin with? Well, free PR was something I had to teach myself out of necessity. Um, as a startup entrepreneur, uh, the first company that I started, uh, well, the first real company I started 12 years ago, uh, we had no funding. We had no Kickstarter back then. Even Facebook was just in its uh, earliest uh, stages. And so um, we were forced to get creative and figure out how to get our company, our products, in front of as many people as possible for as little money as possible. And so at the time I had hired a PR agent or a, pub a publicist to do PR for us. And it cost me a few, and we had very little money and it cost me a few thousand dollars per month. And it just wasn't working. We got no results. And I said, you know, I think I can do this better myself. And so I did. And we ended up getting a ton of PR. We got, ended up getting in Wired Magazine and getting on the Today Show, Good Morning America. And eventually even onto an episode of CSI New York as a central part of a theme of a show. So that was pretty incredible. And I realized the power of having the ability to tell, do storytelling through the mass media and through influencers is such a powerful thing, especially for startups. Yeah, that's very interesting. And, and usually I think like people commonly know this, but uh, they might not know a lot of the techniques behind it, Adrian. I'm sure you can vouch for that. Like, especially if you're a startup, you know certain things. Like it's either your personal brand on social, it's either paid media, it's either going through an agency, but there's so much in that kind of gap that people are not uh, leveraging in terms of an opportunity. And that's what you're highlighting in this book. That's right. And uh, I mean, that's you bring up a great point. There's so many ways to get in front of your target market that we naturally as founders and entrepreneurs tend to gravitate towards maybe the ones that are a little less work, right? Uh, so that would be paid media. And so we're, we're very happy to throw money at paid Facebook advertising, Google ads, things like that. And there's nothing wrong with paid advertising. It works. But the thing with earned media or PR partnerships, things like that, mm -hmm. um, is that it requires more hustle, but if done consistently can give you huge ROI um, and compliments paid, right? The thing is that doing PR takes effort, time and focus. And what I've found anyways, is that there's some misconceptions out there, right? Mm -hmm. Entrepreneurs think it's really expensive to hire a PR firm, uh, which it is. And you don't have to do it. You can just do it yourself, which is free. The other thing we often hear is, oh, I, if I'm going to do it myself, I don't have any connections, right? Yeah. I'm not connected in the PR. You don't need to be connected. You just need to understand how to properly pitch the media. And that's what my book does. It teaches anyone how to pitch almost any company to the media and get that PR. So, so there's really no excuse. I think that earned media PR is 
one of the most powerful things that any startup can do in its early days and beyond. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I think that's, that's actually what I was going to ask next, because I hear that a lot as well. You know, it's like, oh, well, George, you know, you do need those relationships. How am I going to get through, especially if you're if you're you know targeting a specific media outlet? I mean, they're getting bombarded by so many other uh, startups or stories. So how, you know, in, in your line of work, in your experience, have you seen a message, whether it's connected through, you know, email, LinkedIn, a call? How does that actually resonate to someone? Uh, and and how, how are you able to get through if you don't have the connections already established? Yeah, you really don't. I want to I want to really want to iterate and, and and focus on the fact that you don't need to be connected at all to the media. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really is about how you position yourself. And so one of the first things that we do with any company is we help them polish up their positioning, right? Through what's called a, a high level pitch. We really allow them to, in one sentence, really powerfully describe who they are, what they do, and how they're different. And that 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 high-level pitch is critical across all communications, especially when you're pitching journalists, partners, that type of thing. Uh, and so once we have that defined, how you're different, how you're better, and what you do, uh, then you can begin doing the pitching. And the idea is to always think about your target market, your audience. And then when you're pitching the journalists, always making sure that you're pitching it in the lens of here's what I can offer your audience in the terms of new information, interesting information, or useful information, but always speak to them about their audience because the journalist only cares about their audience. They don't care about really what you're selling, who you are, your company. How, you know, They only care about those things. Is it new? Is it different? Is it better? And how will it help their audience? And if you can pitch with that lens, you will have more success. And in the book, and in the e-course that we've developed, we talk about all the techniques and templates and proven processes that uh, founders or marketers can use to really get those pitches perfect. And it's a result of doing, you know, 30, close to 30,000 pitches over the last decade. You tend to learn a couple of things with the data. And so that's what we've done. We've assembled all that information into one book and one course. And, and just to, to sort of build on that, you bring up a good point with value, right? Like what, and I think this is where a lot of people get it wrong because usually their resort is, well, I'm just going to pay you so you have to do it. But when it's free, you kind of have to be resourceful and your pitch has to be much more value driven. So as you mentioned, I mean, we actually experienced this with Bookback, if, if I can use that example. Um, sure. Early on, like we, uh, I actually reached out to a publisher um, of the T- Toronto Guardian. Um, you know, it's not a huge media outlet, but pretty well known in the city. Um, and we just reached out, we told them our story, but our context was, you know, we're, we're a growing startup in Toronto. We're all, uh, you know, obviously we're, we're all, we all live in Canada, but we're also, we have that kind of immigrant angle. We did this for students. So that resonated a lot with their media outlet and he really wanted to push out the story. The same thing went with, with, uh, Cheddar, Cheddar U. Yeah. And we applied the same strategy that you're talking about. Uh, but you do have to know that audience and not just kind of push it across every channel that just comes your way. Yeah, and you're right. You brought up a really good point. You have to personalize each pitch. So in this case, you knew that the Toronto Guardian was into stories that included diversity or included mm-hmm. students or included some other uh, a cause greater than just what your core business does. So you weaved that into your pitch. That was really well done. And understanding what drives that publication is key. And the, probably the most important thing you just said, and you kind of took the words out of my mouth there, which is great, is that when you're pitching journalists, the best attitude to have is that you work for them. They don't work for you. And so right. I've always gone into an, with an attitude of servitude mm. with the journalists. Like, I'm here to help you create a great story for your audience. I'm here to give you images or interviews or schedule 
anything around your needs. I'm here to help and serve you. And I found that that just that attitude change when it comes to working with journalists has gone a long, long way for me. And how do you differentiate? Because I, I think you know you are leveraging these tools. Like that's what what I like about your approach is that you've you've done this you know via Canvas Pop. You know you spent almost nine years there and still still part of that team. And like you've really applied these things, right? It's not like you you just read read a book or an article. So how did you actually use the, the tools that you talk about in the book for Canvas Pop early on in your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, I mean, I was right in the trenches. You're right. It was guerrilla warfare, you know, had no choice in the trenches doing this. In fact, I was pitching the media probably weekly over wow. eight of those nine years. We eventually ended up hiring um, a, a person to help, so a PR, a full-time PR in-house person, which is what I highly recommend that most founders do sooner than later. At the beginning, I highly recommend that you as the founder, especially if you're bootstrapped, that you do some pitching because it's... It's a little bit of effort, but huge potential return, right, in the early days. But then as quickly as possible, you want to find somebody, a junior person, and get them the training or maybe you get a copy of my book. And then from there, they can use these tools to do it themselves. But I did this, and I continue to do PR for myself to this day. So it's something that's really easy and hard at the same time, but it has to be done consistently. And so you ask what I did. I, mean, I used to block one day a week where I would create lists, build up lists, target the right journalists, and then do these push push out campaigns. So four times a month, I would do these campaigns where we'd push out different things, whether it was getting reviews, whether it was getting um, featured in business publications like Forbes, or doing content strategy, that type of thing. So um, as long as you're consistent, and you are willing to roll up your sleeves and block off some time in your calendar every week to do this, you can get great results. But it's also about being opportunistic. You just have to have your eyes open, right? Sometimes a story idea or an opportunity to reach out to the media will, will hit you on a Wednesday, right? Yes. Something's popping in the news. You want to do some what's called newsjacking where something about your industry is exploding. You want to be able to take advantage of that and jump on that bandwagon when the news is hot at the right time, right? And there's also services like Harrow help a reporter out that you can subscribe to that's free. And then you have inbound news inquiries coming into you three times a day. So if, if anyone who's listening isn't subscribed to Harrow, I, I highly recommend you check out helpareporter.com and subscribe. And then you have inbound. So, so what I'm trying to say that really doing PR and earned media is something you do all year. You don't just do it once a year for a product release. You want to be constantly scanning the world for opportunities if that makes sense yeah 100 percent. i actually love your point around scheduling that's something I, I i personally didn't do as much previously but even just coming now and, and and having different things to do during the day just kind of blocking time to really dedicate because i think especially when it comes to things like this you're like oh you know what i'll, I'll just leave it for friday or i'll get that done on tuesday or maybe over the weekend but when you're kind of clumsy with it like even for my podcast when when and this is another point that i really resonated with, with what you said adrian with you never know when that response is going to come. That response can come on a Wednesday, Thursday at 11 p.m., on a Friday. You ne you just never know. And sometimes that follow-up is also so important. So not to be so pushy, but kind of have that persistence because you never know when you catch someone at the wrong or right time. And uh, and sometimes that can, can actually lead to a W. One of the things I really wanted to ask you, though, is because when I look at Canvas, for example, and you guys started that in 2009, that was, I mean, early days LinkedIn. Uh, IG was still not kind of the mature platform still getting baked and 
you you had to resort to different traditional outlets of, of free PR and media. And then over time, you kind of have had to uh, pivot and also get used to or get accustomed to the new uh, tech social channel platforms that uh, we all use today so freely, right? Wow. How was that adjustment for you? And, and what channel did you resonate most with, whether it was LinkedIn, Twitter, et cetera? Yeah, that's a great, great point. I mean, uh, by the way, the, the landscape is changing consistently, right? It's uh, right. hot right now. I can guarantee you it's not going to be hot in 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so you, as a communications marketing professional or just as an entrepreneur, you really want to be experimenting with multi-channel. Mm -hmm. You want to be trying all sorts of different techniques and different channels and eventually you see which ones work, right? So it is a bit of a litmus test experiment where you're you know, trying different things. And so um, look, whether you're trying to get into the New York Times or whether you're trying to get a major influencer to cover your product or whether you're doing B2B or B2C, the principles are still the same, right? A, you need a great product. B, you need a great story. You need to connect that story to the product. You need to weave a pitch that makes you remarkable, makes you stand out. And then you need to connect with humans, whether they're journalists or influencers, to inspire them through storytelling to tell your story on your behalf. So it's the same thing. And I believe it'll, until every journalist is a um, AI robot, you know, who knows, right? <laughs> until that's then, it's still human to human. You still have to be able to tell a story and tell it effectively and stand out. So, so that never changes. But what does change is, the, is what channels matter. And so for me personally, for example, and probably for us, I would say collectively, LinkedIn is the most powerful channel, right? Because sure. we're B2B, we offer, in a way, services. Currently, I'm an advisor. You're an advisor. You're also an entrepreneur. But in a sense, with with mm -hmm. your career, you know, you're you're half advisor, half uh, um, you know entrepreneur, right? Uh, right? Same with me. I'm I have an information product. I sell an e-course on how to get free PR. I also have a book. I also have advisory roles. So so for me. LinkedIn has been probably the most underrated network out there. It's extremely powerful. Um, by default, the people on the network all have careers and jobs and money for the most part. So mm -hmm. you're going after a very affluent audience. The ability to have amplification right now is uncanny. Um, I've had videos with 20, 30, 40, 50,000 views. Yeah. Uh, try doing that on YouTube from zero, right? <laughs> Um, it's not easy. You can get millions on YouTube, but LinkedIn right now, if you have your uh, stuff together and you can put together some half decent content on a regular basis, it's the place. A ton of amplification, as you've seen and as I've seen. A hundred percent, man. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I mean, LinkedIn has been huge, just as a platform right now, and especially if you know if you're listening to this, you're a content creator. Get on video. You know, I think articles to begin with were uh, were much more prioritized. Right now, we're seeing that kind of deprioritized. So the things that are winning the most are video content. Currently, they're rolling out live, but to a few audience, it's still in beta. And then short form uh, posts. So yeah. even if you say, for example, you wrote an article previously, what you can do is just take sound bites, recreate that in a short form post, and and from there, um, as Adrian, you know, you're talking about, is just look at the traction and the tra traffic that you're going to get. It's crazy. Yeah, and one thing I want to say on that, and this is something I haven't heard a lot about, but something I've definitely seen mm -hmm. is people are a little bit lazy. So let's just say you end up you end up on the news or something, right? And you want to most people will just send an uh, send a link out to YouTube or onto the original site that the video's on. If you take a moment to actually record that content, 
create a video on your computer and then upload the video as opposed to link out to that video, your amplification will be 10x more. So that's my number one tip. I don't know if you've noticed that too, but Mm -hmm. if you upload original video content in the minds of LinkedIn, you are going to get so much more amplification than just sharing. That's very true. Yeah, if, if uh, basically just download the raw file, right? So MP4, if you want to do some edits, that would be even better. And yeah. then just upload it again. This way, it's actually your native content versus because LinkedIn doesn't want you to go to a different site, basically. So exactly. if, uh, if you can do that, it would just, and it takes like three seconds, man. I mean, yeah, I agree. And then if you want <laughs> caption to it, even better because most yeah. people are in an office environment looking at LinkedIn. They may or may not have their headset on. And either way, it helps. So, so that's the other tip, I think. Um, you've done, I've seen you do video content. I do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think captions are key. And I also think that tagging, but not abusing it, but tagging yeah. people that you want to see the content kind of helps to get the ball rolling. Cause if you can get them to reshare or comment that huge commenting is gigantic on LinkedIn. That's yeah. how you get all your amplification. Yeah, it's true. I, it, it's like, it's almost like, don't be scared to, to give your own opinion. You know, whether it's on your own post, whether you tag someone, as you've mentioned, or, or just comment on someone else's post and give your two cents, right? I think that's important. And, yep. and then everybody in their network is going to see what you've mentioned. Exactly. Uh, and vice versa. What do you yeah, think? Uh, yeah. You know, for, for you, I mean, uh, because it, every time you talk to like a marketing manager, they always set out marketing budgets, right? They always have, they have metrics, they have KPIs. Although with marketing, sometimes it can be difficult uh, to really uh, quantify certain things in terms of pure ROI. But when, like, when do you get to the point basically where, where you start thinking about having an actual dollar associated to a budget versus just going through the free PR route? Or do you think you could always go through the free PR route? Yeah, I mean, the, the reality is that there's really three buckets, right? There's owned media. So that's your website. Uh, your blog, your social media channels. That's your own. That's one of the things that you own. Mm-hmm. There's your earned bucket, which is, you know, earning stuff by, you know, earned media, reviews, uh, partnerships, all that stuff. I call it earned media. That's what I'm all about. And then the third bucket is paid, right? The way I see it, all three of these have to be synced up, right? Some companies go one third, one third, one third. Some com- companies put 10% towards uh, paid and the rest is the other two, you know, um, at Canvas Pop, funny enough, we were able to reach cumulatively eight figures in sales by doing a 90-10 split. What I mean by that is we spent 90% of our effort, budget, uh, and everything on earned media and owned and very little on paid. We only use paid to amplify the earned, if that makes sense. So, And that worked for us. We were able to generate tens and tens of millions of dollars mainly through those channels. Right? For other companies, they might have to do 10% earned just to create credibility and create some content that's not on their own network and then pump a ton of paid advertising to that earned, right? So you can do it the other way. There isn't a single mix that works, but I think a good place to start is one third, one third, one third. Most companies, unfortunately, spend about 90% of their budget on paid channels and then the remaining 10%, if that, on earned and owned, right? So their site kind of sucks. It's not optimized or their app. Uh, isn't completely optimized, their their SEO isn't quite uh, dialed in, but yet they're pumping ton of advertising, 90% of their spend, and then they're doing very little earned, right, because it's hard, mm. harder, and then they're not getting that social credibility, that social proof, they're not getting that organic linking 
hence why their SEOs messed up, hence why they have to spend so much money to try to buy credibility. And as we know, buying credibility is a lot more, it's easier done, but it's a lot more expensive than earning it. Right, right. So focus on content. What did, but like, so say for example, I'm, I'm an, you know, I'm an aspiring entrepreneur, I'm a founder, um, I'm, and I, or I just want to start putting stuff out there. I think, you know, one of the feedback I usually get from either students and still in university or people in the workforce is, well, you know, one, I don't really know what, what to talk about. Two, I don't really know if I'd be confident putting myself out there. And three, uh, you know, what if it doesn't resonate with people? Like what if it backfires? So what advice would you give to someone who's kind of hesitant to do this, whether they're an entrepreneur or not? Well, I think the first thing is, um, as an entrepreneur, as a marketer, get used to failure, right? Like most of the things you're going to do are not going to work. That's just the nature of the game, right? And so how do you get past that faster is look at what is working. So tip number one is go to your lookalike competitors, not necessarily your competitors, but what I call your lookalikes. They're companies that are similar to your company, very successful companies that you look up to, but aren't direct competitors and look at what's working for them. So why reinvent the wheel, right? You, you're allowed to, as a marketer, to look for inspiration to successful companies and sort of learn off other people's mistakes. So start there. The other thing is, if you're not good at long form content, find what you're good at. In my case, I happen to be not a great writer, but I think I'm a pretty good speaker. So that's why I do a lot of podcasts like this because I'm better at speaking than I am at writing. So focus on where your strengths are. The third thing is, let's just say you, you really wanna do written content, but you don't feel like you have anything to say, then one of the little tips I recommend there is be, become a curator, yeah. right? Um, um, go out there and find great information, summarize it, and create summaries, create lists that summarize things. If you look at one of my favorite newsletters, it's called The Hustle. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Yep. Great, great email newsletter. They have about a million subscribers. They create some of their own content, but for the most part, what they're doing is creating a digest. They put together a bunch of what's trending into articles, and then they send an email blast out every day. So you don't have to become a Pulitzer Prize journalist or a writer to create great content. You just have to be great at, at least at curating. And then find the channel that resonates the most with your audience and with your voice, whether it's long form, short form, video, or audio and focus on those channels until you find something that works. I think, I don't think it's a silver bullet, but hopefully that answer kind of helps you understand how I think anyways. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I, I would definitely agree. I mean, uh, maybe to summarize as well, it's, it's like get creative, try different things. You know, you obviously can't be afraid to fail if you're going to put out content. Uh, I don't think that's, you know, if you want to do that, then you're going to have some difficulty. But at the end of the day, like if you're genuine, if you really care about the content, if you have some substance as well, I think that's where some people can can have it backfire is when, you, when you're too opinion-based on something that's too far, you know, too left field, for example, of, of what you're do currently doing. That might not resonate well with your audience. But if you generally talk about something you know in and out, as you're doing with like PR, for example, um, or I could talk about podcasts, starting an app from, from scratch. Like there's so many avenues that you you probably have in your tool toolcase that if you just kind of search for it, if you reflect a little bit, you're going to have so many pieces of content. And if really it comes down to it, it doesn't even have to be professional. I mean, you could talk about, you know, personal experiences that you've run into, you know, starting your first job, lessons you've learned, and you know, spending six months in sales, uh, you know, your experience traveling to I Iceland. I don't like whatever the case is, you can always draw lessons and you, you can repurpose that kind of content for an audience like LinkedIn. And it's funny how many 
prospects and, and things you can actually encounter through pieces of content like that, which don't always relate to to maybe your work, for example. Yeah, I think I think it's about repetition, being out there, creating value, right? Like you said, we all have something that we know that we can share with the world. And I think the more you lead with value and providing value to people, the more people appreciate that. I also think that more than ever, people appreciate authenticity and a little bit of vulnerability so that if you are, I mean, I'm personally not a big fan of the vulnerability posts. Like I want to provide value. Uh, I want to, but I want to keep it real, right? So I think what, what, right. what those vulnerability posts, the reason a lot of those tend to work and that type of content works is because it's authentic. Exactly. So I'd rather lead with authenticity and like you said, knowledge and value. And if you do that over and over and over again, your audience will go from 10 to 50 to 1,000, and it'll just start amplifying and amplifying from there. It just takes time. And I think the problem, George, is that, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I think most people want to play the short game. So yeah. they're constantly, you know, I'm going to throw a bunch of money in an ad, or I'm going to show up to a trade show and blow my budget on one event, as opposed to creating content, as opposed to reaching out to the media, as opposed to doing partnerships, all which take time, effort, and can take six months, right, to do. And I think you can't just focus on one, right? You can't just focus on the short game. You got to do both. A hundred percent, man. I, I completely agree with you. What, I mean, essentially what, what you really, and, and what all of us really are doing when we when we embark on this kind of PR journey is we're trying to capture people's attention, right? I mean, that's, that's the ultimate asset. Um, and you can get really good at that. It's almost like a muscle. So to your point, like I view, I mean, obviously I see it as a long game, but for me, it's also like a muscle. That's, that's kind of how I view storytelling, you know, and I think you just have to get good at it. It's not something you, you know, you might be born with, or it's, it's almost like something just, it's, a, it's something you, you know, you start working on, you craft, and then you just get better at creating content at communicating within your style as well. So for you, Adrian, if you, if you're better at speaking, obviously like, that's the outlet that, that you went with and it's been working really well for you. So uh, I, I definitely like that. And then because you advise so many companies, maybe let's talk about the challenges as well. What's the number one thing that companies are doing wrong that they should quickly fix before it's a little bit too late? Yeah, well, there's, there's a few things. I mean, within the realm of communications, I think one of the biggest mistakes I see people do is, is the most basic one, which is, not taking the time to create what we call um, a unique value proposition or even what it, what's called a high concept pitch, which is mm -hmm. the one sentence, you know, what you do and why you're different. Um, a lot of companies, and I've seen this with mature businesses that have managed to raise money or already have market fit, but they're not able to really clearly articulate why they're different or better. I think that's the biggest screw up because if you don't have that right, then you're going to have a hard time attracting customers. You're going to have a hard time describing to potential employees why they should come work for you. You're going to have a hard time raising money. You name it, right? So that's the biggest thing. Um, that's not problem number one. So, so I think that companies can go a long way by constantly thinking about how they can stand out. And if they're not standing out, baking in some of those things to make their companies more remarkable and interesting because that has long-lasting effects across the board. Um, that's number one. Uh, number two, I see a lot of companies blowing their brains out on advertising and not reading, not reading the data properly, right? They're using retargeting and stuff. So the data looks like they're making money, but in reality, they're barely making money or they don't 
they don't have a true grasp of customer lifetime value. So data-driven paid advertising, it's, it's becoming a problem, right? So one of the ways that we like to sort of offset the cost of advertising is by focusing on content, focusing on PR, focusing on earned to reduce the cost of advertising. And so, uh, and then lastly, the third thing is a lot of companies rely too much on a single channel. I've seen this where, you know, Facebook is working extremely well for them. They're dialed in on Facebook, but nothing else. And so that if an algorithm change on Facebook or an API change on, you know, Instagram or something happens, their entire business can collapse. And so one of the things I always look for for businesses that I invest in or advise is diversification of channels, diversification of strategy so that, you know, you have a leg to fall, you, you have more than one leg to stand on if things change. Yeah, I love that, man. That last point is so critical. I think Gary V talks about this as well in terms of just like hedging yourself. Um, and, you know, if you're too unedited, I mean, think of all these channels. I'll give you a quick example with Vine. Uh, you know, when, when it was really big, I mean, it probably lasted like six to eight months. And I was very late to the game. Like I never watched any Vines. I would watch them maybe on YouTube. Yeah. Um, but so many people's careers, you know, just took off on on Vine. And, and you know, they would produce these like very, very short form posts. And then all of a sudden, this whole app just dies. Yeah. You look at another example like Snapchat. Not that it's dead, but it's it's definitely losing a lot of traction to Instagram Snapchat, and Facebook. Snapchat George is the next MySpace. I've been saying it for two and a half years. Very they, true. I, all the same patterns. It's it's going MySpace. It'll it'll be gone in two years. In two years, uh, if it's not gone, it'll be acquired by a large conglomerate and will be will sizzle out. That's my prediction. I've said it. I've been saying it for a while. But anyways, yeah, Snapchat. I totally agree, man. Totally agree. And it's just because and, and, and you saw how many people were on Snap at one point, like especially with the whole DJ Khaled boom and Kev Hart was on it a lot. And and now it's like it just flipped the script, you know. Um, so it's important to kind of repurpose your content. And a lot of the stuff that you can post on LinkedIn, you can re uh, we can kind of recycle if, if I can use that term, recycle it to Instagram, Facebook, etc. So, the, so that's that's critical, man. That's really good advice. Uh, appreciate that from you. Yeah, the biggest challenge I think is a is a mechanical challenge, which is the formatting, right? I, you've got you yeah. know a certain ratios on LinkedIn, certain ratios on on Instagram stories. I find that the biggest problem that Instagram and Snap suffer from is the vertical, and there's no way really around it other than resizing your video content. So it's too. So that is a problem actually. Is trying to get video content that for the last, I don't know what, 70 years has been designed for landscape format into a vertical format can be a challenge, but we'll figure it out, right? Like I've, fig I've, I've done some clean editing and stuff like that. But these are first world problems. To our point, <laughs> you really just need to diversify the number of channels you're on. And today there's no excuse not to be, you know, modifying your content slightly, but being on multiple channels, right? Not, not relying on just one. I couldn't agree with that enough. And then, you know, you've got the TikToks of the world where Twitch is coming out and you've got all sorts of different things. Go ahead and experiment if they fit your audience. And the worst thing that happens is it doesn't work and you move on. Best thing that can happen is you find a brand new channel before any, and Gary Vaynerchuk talks a lot about this, is trying to be first on any channel. Uh, I haven't played with TikTok yet. Frankly, it's I don't see any markets. But, you know, I think they're targeting 14-year-olds at this point. Mm. But... Um, but you know, have you seen TikTok yet? No, not really. Actually, I haven't. Uh, I haven't seen it in depth. Kind of another next mine, I think. But we'll see. You know, it's just that depending on what you're selling, yeah, experiment with multiple channels. Get out there, try different things, and diversify. I think we're both on the same page when it comes to that. 
The last question I have for you, man, is, is um, this is more on the advisory investing side, but what do you look for when you are kind of screening out companies? What's your checklist? What, what does that actually look like? Well, the, the first thing is the founder, right? I always look at the founder first. Um, you know, are they resilient? Are they smart? Are, is it somebody, you know, the, the whole saying of bet on the, you bet on the jockey, not the horse. Uh, I, I do believe in that. I, I always bet on the entrepreneur first. But beyond that, what I'm looking for is a, a, a large market, like any investor. I'm looking for a market that's large and growing. So sometimes you have a very large market, but it's going to be dead in two years. So it's like, uh, uh, you know, so I'm not interested in those. I want something that's got some, some future potential, future growth potential to it. I'm looking now more than ever at gross margin because I mm -hmm. think too many people ignore profitability, ignore the possibility of profitability uh, for future gains. I like, to, I like now I'm really excited about companies that have high gross margin and, prof and potential for profitability. Um, you know, digital products get me really excited. I don't think, you know, ironically coming from an e-commerce physical product back in, I'm actually more excited about digital moving forward. Uh, recurring revenue. I do look for recurring revenue because of the predictability of it. I mean, especially if you're software and SaaS, I mean, you, you almost need that, right? Yeah, you do because the cost of advertising is so high that exactly. without a lot, without a CLV or predictable CLV model, you know, um, you're going to die, right? If you don't have some sort of recurring revenue model of some sort, those are the things I look for. Um, and I also look for things that I think are exciting and fun. I mean, at the end of the day, as an angel, I'm not a, um, uh, running a hedge fund here, right? So as an angel, if I'm going to take my you know post-tax money and risk it on on startups, I want you know a fun concept or idea that I get excited about personally, That's right? right? Yeah. Uh, an angel. Those are the things I look for. Amazing. So what's keeping you up? up you know, sort of up now, busy. Like what's what's top of line now after all this? You know, with with the book, with with free PR. What's what's next in line for you, man? So I'm in, I'm in what I call a blank canvas state, which is actually my Zen state because I've been here before, right? I've done this three times before where I do something, I have some success at it, and then I take some time off. Now, mm -hmm. for me, taking time off doesn't mean sitting on a beach and drinking margaritas. For me, taking time off means finally getting this book done, creating an e-course, mentoring you know as many entrepreneurs as i can so right now what i'm super excited about is i only work with entrepreneurs and i only work with people that i choose to work with mm -hmm. and so i'm advising cool companies like life dna which is a genomics company uh advisor to a company called squash.io which is you know a, a really great company that helps to do um uh, quality control testing for software and testing environments uh manlybands.com uh, super excited. It's an e-commerce. That's an e-commerce company that sells men's wedding rings, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm working with a bunch of great entrepreneurs, uh, doing the book tour. So doing a lot of speaking, I'm going to be at startup grind at the end of the month. I'm yeah. going to hopefully be joining you at, uh, maybe at haste and hustle this summer, yes, um, just speaking, writing, you know, touring and advising. And then if an opportunity comes out, if a great entrepreneur comes to me here, advisor, I'm really excited. Then maybe I'll join them, or maybe I'll t continue just to be an angel and advisor for the next decade. I don't know yet, and that's what's really exciting. Love it, man. Last piece before we end this: What's one piece of advice that you'd give to someone listening to this? Think big. I mean, 
and then and then this and let me let me preface let me let me add some more to that. Um, sure. Thinking big is free. It doesn't cost any money. This is like a really powerful concept. Um, let's just say you're launching something, and I've seen this. You know, I'm Canadian. I live in Los Angeles, and I live in Ottawa. And so this is the one thing I've seen a lot in Canada. Somebody will launch something, and for some reason, they will make it only available locally or only in Canada, right? And I always question them. I say, all right, you're launching um, whatever service. And they're like, yeah, it's going to be here in Toronto only. And I'm like, all right, why? Is the internet. The internet works anywhere. Like if you can create a system, like how, as long as I hear them say, well, in the future, I want to make this thing global, or I can scale global, then I get excited about it. But what I don't get excited about is people that think small for no reason, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so I would say, like for example, somebody that starts an internet company but then only does the .ca. I'm like, are you purposely <laughs> limiting your company to one tenth its possible potential just through a domain decision? Like, so, so, so think big, buy the .com, get the, you know, think globally. Uh, think big. It, it 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 doesn't cost you anything when you're at the early stages on a napkin. Just take the extra moment to think. Think big. It's free. Mister Free PR, uh, definitely check out the website freeprbook.com. Uh, connect with Adrian. He's everywhere. LinkedIn, Instagram. He really uh, is a testament of his own uh, content and his own preaching. Appreciate you doing this, man. Thanks for for coming on the podcast, and I uh, can't wait to you know, to keep up with your journey. And maybe next time you, you start something else and the fire gets rolling, we'll have you on again to chat. That's awesome, George. Big respect for you and I appreciate you uh, having me on. Love it. Thanks again, man. Thanks, buddy.